Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everybody. Um, so yeah, hi, I'm Ben. Um, I am a uh, data solutions architect for Socrata. Um, what that means I actually do is it's kind of a technical pre-sales consultant uh, type role working with governments around Europe to kind of help them think about their open data programs, um, you know, how our technology might be able to help the work they're doing um, and then when, when we are working with them, helping them uh, you know, be successful and, and have you know, very, very kind of well used and exciting kind of open data projects. Um, prior to joining Socrata, I worked in local government for about 10 years here in the UK in a variety of kind of digital design, research, policy, performance management type roles um, kind of around the, around the UK. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about three, three-ish things. Um, so some work that we're doing at Socrata uh, to kind of rethink how we approach open data. Um, some work that our engineers have been doing with machine learning uh, to kind of help speed this process up. So I'll put a little flag up right at the start. I'm not an engineer, so there's a, a level of depth we can get into. But if you really want to get into the machine learning side of things, I can point you at some of the guys to, to kind of chat to and to ping online who can explain a bit more about the work we're doing. Uh, you can also jump on, on GitHub and find Socrata's kind of repository and see all the open source modules we've put out around some of the work we've been doing here as well. Uh, and then the final thing I'm going to touch on and then demo to you guys is how we've kind of used all of this to redesign uh, the user experience around open data, which is kind of the point of all this, um, to help people drive meaning from their data in a, in a much kind of snappier and a much more exciting and enjoyable way. Uh, do kind of stop me and ask questions and stuff as we, as we go through. Uh, so, uh, Socrata... Um, Software as a service company based in Seattle in the US, uh, offices in kind of Washington DC and here in London, uh, working with kind of well over 200 customers now, uh, government customers from kind of federal departments down to small towns, cities, municipalities. Um, been working here in Europe for about two years, um, working with around kind of 25 to 30 government organizations on a, a kind of range of open data, performance management, transparency type projects. Um, that describes what we do um, and the kind of why we do it and the things our customers are generally trying to achieve when they're thinking about how they kind of open up their data or, or do things as organizations uh, with their information. Uh, that's just a little sample just to give you a sense of the kind of breadth of customers, the types of organizations we work with, as I say, from kind of countries, federal down to small municipalities, um, NGOs, kind of non-government organization types like United Nations, uh, European Commission we're working with out here as well. Um, so yeah, good, good range of, uh, of people. And then there's a few from the UK here, here in the middle. Um, and also, just so I don't forget, um, my colleague asked me to mention this. So we're just about to launch the London Borough of Camden's open data platform. Um, those guys have got a really kind of exciting plan around how they're going to kind of reach out and engage people with the work they're doing. So if you are interested in Camden and open data, Rose is here. Um, have a chat with Rose afterwards and she can connect you with the guys and, and chat through some of the work they're doing. They're really keen to hear from people who actually use the data um, about how they should kind of take their project forward and some of the things they might look to do. Uh, so this, at its simplest, is, is kind of what we do um, as an organisation. So we have a, a platform and a number of products on top of that. Um, and we're about getting data from kind of silos and you know, legacy systems and people's desktops into a place where it can be you know, enriched with context and made available to a wide range of different, uh, different users. 
the way we do it, some specific solutions on top of our platform. I won't dwell on these for too long. So open data, kind of platform and catalog, uh, some very specific applications around uh, financial transparency, budgets, um, your 311s kind of service request type data, um, and also a performance management um, suite as well. So for kind of government organizations trying to manage goals against targets, um, we have a, a product there. I'll go quickly through that stuff though. Uh, so kind of getting into the, the, the meat of this stuff. So um, in, in rethinking open data as a company, we are focused on solving kind of a number of problems. Um, so we want to get, the hand, get data into the hands of decision makers. Um, so people within government have jobs to do, services to provide to residents in a place, um, and they need to do this in the most kind of effective and efficient way possible. Um, data is a part of the answer to this, so helping them understand their data um, you know, as it relates to services and service provision is, is a kind of important part of the mix. Um, yeah, to do this, we want to create context-driven experiences for non-technical users. So you know, us as a company, we and I'll, I'll touch on this a bit later on, but we think about lots of different types of user, one of whom is a kind of non-technical government employee who has a load of data that they want to make some kind of sense from. Uh, and finally, we want to get data out to where it's most useful. So you know, the, the whole kind of open data thing, I guess, which is you know, there are organizations, companies out there who can do better things with this. So uh, we work, for example, with uh, Yelp to help uh, restaurant hygiene scores get into search listings, uh, real estate companies like Zillow so that they can have better information about housing, about schools, about things going on in a neighborhood that someone might want to move to. Um, and a, a nice local example that's kind of popped up recently as well, uh, the guys in uh, Bath and Northeast Somerset, so the official Visit Bath tourism app now has kind of live car parking data to help you find somewhere to park that's powered by their open data platform. So, you know, really nice use cases where actually it's not about people coming to a place to find open data. It's served up, you know, where they are, where it's most useful in context to the thing that they're trying to do. Um, so, to do this, to be successful, data needs to be accessible to quite a wide range of users. Um, and the one thing we're kind of sure about is that this you know, spreadsheet-y type experience is not going to get us there. You know, that's, that's not the answer. Um, useful for some things, but, but for the things I've just kind of gone through, it's, it's very, rarely, very rarely that. So when we think about data, um, you know, we talk about data, data sets, APIs, things like that. It's all kind of cold, clinical descriptions of you know, quite technical, scientific -y type things. And it, it doesn't really give justice to the, to the thing we're trying to do. You know, the, the, at, at its heart, the data is about you know, the place we live, um, where our kids go to school, how we move around a city or a place, you know, the things we're trying to do when we kind of go about our, our daily lives. Um, so you know, underneath all this, what's the point with all of this data? It's, it's ultimately all about drawing out some kind of understanding, um, you know, some kind of analysis and some kind of understanding as a, as a place. Um, and so... When um, I was kind of back with the, with the company in Seattle last year, our CTO kind of described how he thinks about this, and he, he sets it out as, um, as a learning model. I think being a kind of technology person, that's kind of everything in his, he his head is like one big massive learning model that he needs to kind of you know, create and solve. Um, and so we challenged him to kind of explain this to us in, you know, in, in kind of more real-world terms. And so the, the analogy he gave was, uh, was about raising kids, um, and specifically within that, Helping kids learn languages. Um, so, this is Esme. Um, Esme is my little girl, and Esme's mum speaks English, French, and Spanish. I'm British, so I point and shout. Um, the challenge we have: she's only four and a half, five months old. 
but she's going to be learning two, possibly three languages as she grows up. Um, it's part of the subplot to kind of keep me out of conversations in the household. That's a different story for another day. <laughs> um, uh, so the, the way our CTO kind of described this challenge in the context of kids learning languages, which I thought was quite helpful, was effectively there's, there's like two scenarios. So scenario one is you provide your kid with lots of words, you know, words for things. You give them a vocabulary and you kind of build it up and, and they kind of acquire this knowledge and get so many words and start to, start to build this language out. And obviously as parents, that's kind of part of the thing we'll have to do is kind of teach her what things are in, in a number of different languages. Um, the other scenario though is when you see kids kind of playing with each other at nursery or with friends at school or, or however they interact. And they, they mess about with the language. You know, they test it out. They, they try it with each other. They bounce things around. They, you know, particularly kids learning two languages, they kind of merge words together and make up their own, kind of, their own, their own vocabulary. Um, and so it, the kind of point here is, I guess, like, which of those is best? Um, so you know, both are good. Both are helpful. Both are important. But the second one, the kind of socialization, the collaboration, the, the kind of sharing, is, is the most effective. You know, it, it develops a kind of a mastery of something on a very intuitive level. Um, so kind of back to the point, where am I trying to go with all of this? We're looking for um, what we call uh, you know, aha moments. I get the kind of 80s pop reference. Um, we want to get data and we want to collaborate and share with it so that we get that kind of, ah, you know, that thing. I, that's the thing I was looking for, or I didn't know that, or there's another question to ask about something. Um, so, you know, typical examples, things like when does crime take place in a city? You know, you get kind of seasonality, peaks and troughs. Um, and when it's cold, when the weather's bad, crime drops off. You know, kind of, it's an interesting question there. Criminals at home, I don't know, playing Xbox, smoking weed, doing whatever it is they do. Um, but, but there's a pattern and there's a question and it's, it's through that kind of sharing and, and, and kind of, you know, figuring out intuitively there's something in this and there's a question I want to ask. So for us, again, Socrata as, as a company trying to help people do things with their open data, um, we have to ask how do we help deliver that experience and that kind of aha moment and that, that piece of insight. So, you know, to do this, there's a few, a few components, search and discovery. Um, so people need to find things. Like you're interested in a piece of data about a place. Where do you go? How do you surface it? Where, what, you know, where's, where does this thing live, this, this little piece of insight that you're, that you're looking for? So yeah, search and discovery, super important. Um, applying this to government services, as I said at the start, we, we as a company think really hard about how we can help our government customers make the most of their data. Um, so again, another a story from Chicago, they essentially partnered up with Carnegie Mellon University to look at all of their service request information going back about 10 years and specifically rodent infestation. Um, so they, the service they do, they have an inspection team who go out, look at properties, set traps, baits, catch rats, go back, rinse and repeat. They've been doing it since forever. Um, and the point of the work with Carnegie Mellon was, well, there's probably a better way of doing this because at the moment we just send teams out, they go to where they think is best, put their traps and catch some rats. And you know, the nature of a city like Chicago is you're going to catch rats if you're looking down kind of alleys and behind restaurants. Um, so Carnegie Mellon, big piece of work, data visualization, data scientists looked at kind of patterns in weather, in, in restaurant density, population density, and totally replanned how they send out their inspectors. So they now go based on you know, likelihood of catching most of the rats and solving the problem properly. Um, great if you're Chicago. 
and you've got the resources to kind of connect with somebody like Carnegie Mellon and get those guys in to do a big study, or if you've got a team of data scientists, you know, most of government, particularly local government in the UK, don't have these resources. You know, if you can find two people who know how to do you know, some kind of statistical analysis, you're doing quite well. So a part of the challenge for us, again, is how can we help all of our government customers, not just the big cities like New York and Chicago, but some of the smaller municipalities. You know, we work with cities of like 10,000 population. They should be able to get some of this kind of insight out of their data as well. Um, so kind of bringing this to the, to the smaller organizations. So again, another challenge we're trying to solve. So how, how do we do this? Um, so there's a data from our customers comes in a pretty wide variety of shapes and sizes. Um, so how one city sends us crime information compared to the next compared to the next can, can vary enormously. Um, so uh, crime's a bad example actually for the UK because we've got a beautifully nationalized kind of approach to crime reporting. But you know, replace this with any type of data coming out of government, local government, particularly in the UK. Unless they're following a schema, which is fairly rare, it's, it's going to be a little bit kind of funky. So the challenge is how do we identify that this is crime, that all of these things from all of these cities are the same piece of data. Um, you know, somewhere within all of these is an incident, a crime that took place at a time and in a place that's described in some kind of a way. So, you know, as I say, top-down strategy of schemas and standards is great, and where they exist, we adopt them and we encourage all our customers to use them, and we, you know, we push hard and support and encourage and nudge and all of those good things. But it, it doesn't happen all the time. So we have a kind of bottom-up strategy to approach this as well. Uh, so this is, I guess, where we, where we kind of start to get a little bit into the, the kind of work our guys have been doing um, in the kind of machine learning world. So we have a piece of tabular data. Um, our perfect customers, as I say, will, you know, they'll categorize things, they'll define data types, they'll tag it, they'll beautiful metadata to describe this. For everyone who does that, there's 10 who don't, and probably more. So we have data coming into the platform that's kind of loosely described. Common headers are kind of the thing they're talking about. There's no metadata. You don't really know what this thing is. But it's there. It's open data. It's been offered up as a resource to, you know, to people to do things with it. Um, so the challenge is how do we automatically understand what's in this data set? So you know, for us as a technology company, how do we take that job out of the hands of the publisher? and get the machines to do it for them. Um, you know, solve the problem from, uh, from the technology piece instead. Um, so the, the things we're trying to figure out, uh, what's the data set about? You know, how, do we, how do we categorize it? Uh, should it be mapped? You know, is there a place in there somewhere? Ideally, we'll have a latitude and a longitude, but we might not. We might have a, a description of a place, you know, a, a neighborhood or a city or a country. How do we know that a place is a place, that a, a thing that's been put in there actually refers to a, a, a point on a map that we can use? Um, associations. You know, we, have, we might have spending, we might have a place that the money was spent in, in columns kind of side by side. It would make sense to associate those things together so we can start to look across and see how, you know, how spending might differentiate across areas. Um, but again, we we're not having people telling us that that's the information, so we need to try and solve this problem of identifying that these things can be associated with each other and we can run some kind of analysis across them. Um, so to do this, the challenge, and uh, we, I think probably about a year ago, we really built out our, our kind of machine learning and, and analytics team. 
and they have been using a concept called uh, supervised learning. So, you know, effectively, the job is to show show the machine what uh, you know what the data is all about. So, another slightly stretched analogy for you, um, but this is how. Again, this is how the CTO described this to me as a as a not an engineer. Um, so, take a book you studied at school. So, you know, GCSE, A level, whatever it was. Um, so, for me, the one that sticks in my mind was I was forced to read this um, as part of my A level text. Um, so, you you know, you read a book. You've got a vocabulary. You've got some understanding of, you know, in this case, this one's set in, in the Greek islands, so you kind of know where Greece is. You've got a sense you might have been on a Mediterranean holiday. You kind of know it's warm out there. Set in the Second World War, kind of know a bit about what happened then. Fast forward, you know, a few years. Your vocabulary's increased. You've possibly done a bit more research, a bit more learning. You might have actually been to Cephalonia, where this place was set. You might have fallen in love with the daughter of the local pharmacy. <laughs> Could have happened. Um, but the, the, you know, what, what's happened is through this kind of acquired knowledge and learning, you have a much, much, much deeper understanding of the thing itself. Um, so, as I say, slightly stretched, but the analogy is the data set. The more we can understand it, the more we can kind of learn about it, the better we can kind of apply this kind of insight and analysis on, on top of this. Um, so, the, you know, the task is very similar with, uh, with the kind of machine learning stuff. So we need to pull all this knowledge from as many places as we can and apply it to the data sets. You know, that's effectively the challenge to be solved. Um, so you know, where, where do you get this from? So we, you know, to do this, we, we seed the system with kind of models. Um, we annotate things ourselves. And we also kind of mine, you know, mine the internet, go out and find where place things are defined, entities are described, you know, how we can kind of acquire all this additional information and apply it back to the data that our organizations are, are publishing. Um, and you know, one of the one of the parts of, of this kind of um, you know this machine learning cycle. I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, Mechanical Turk, something from Amazon. A few nods. So yeah, Mechanical Turk is is a process by which you can kind of farm out jobs to you know thousands of people out there in the world to do some very very mundane tasks. So it's used for things like image tagging, like you know, what's this image of, and you kind of name it and describe it. Um, so we took advantage of Mechanical Turk as a part of this process. You know, we've got loads of data sets. Show them to people, ask them to describe it, tell us what it is, what's in there. So we can you know, very quickly gather a lot of information about, you know, about a data set um, and use that to start, to start building, uh, building out the models. Um, we then kind of feed this into the, you know, into the knowledge base and, and kind of rerun these cycles. So we can kind of build and build and build better learning all the time about the data that sits within our platform across all of our cities, all of the organizations we, uh, we work with. So to, to get this kind of process started, this is the, the kind of thing in a little bit more detail. I'll let you guys read that stuff if you can see it. Um, we, we had to develop what's kind of called a gold truth. So we, you know, we can have machine learning models. We can have mechanical Turk, all this cool stuff. But at the end of the day, the people we trust the most are ourselves. You know, we understand the data, and, and we can kind of describe things. So we, we set out and do this work. You know, we, we create gold truth records um, and use these to kind of base the models on. Um, to do this, um, we, our CTO, um, lucky people, got some interns in from U, UW University um, up in the state of Washington um, who got to categorize 800 data sets. 
<laughs> so really, really cool intern task. Um, so they were kind of brought in to, to categorize, to tag, to annotate, to describe, to do all of the stuff that should be done to create a perfect record of a data set. Um, so we couldn't do this for too long because we want to be able to keep hiring interns at Socrata. So they farmed it out to Mechanical Turk. And, and again, rinse and repeat. You keep running through these kind of cycles to improve and improve and improve all the time. Um, did an accuracy check across this, and we kind of found we're hitting about 90%. So, you know, pretty decent level of accuracy when it comes to actually annotating and, and classifying and tagging, describing data sets. Um, and, yeah, it's, been kind of, it's a kind of ever-repeating model. Um, so, yeah, how, how did the humans do? Um, so this is the kind of data from, from running it all through, through Mechanical Turk. Um, so what it shows is if you have about 85-ish uh, percent of people agreeing that you know, this classification is this, this category is this, you're, you're getting kind of about 100% um, kind of accuracy on that. You can see it kind of really sharply drops off. So, so once you get down to the kind of 75-ish percent of people agreeing about what a data set is, your, your accuracy really dives off a cliff. Um, and you know, the kind of reason for this is if you've got a really badly kind of categorized data set, so column name is like ID underscore 35, COL dash 245, you're guessing. Like you are just making it up. You're, you're kind of having, you know, winging it and hoping for the best. So when we get to a, you know, a as they get more poorly defined, the whole kind of thing just drops, uh, drops away. No one knows what's in some of these data sets. When we look at the machines, we get a similar trade-off. So 75% um, accuracy gets you kind of 100% coverage. But if we aim for 100% accuracy, you'll see we can only cover about 20% of the data sets. So there's a kind of sweet spot in, in around this kind of 90-ish percent mark where if we aim for an accuracy from the machines of around 90% or so, we can get a pretty decent coverage across all of the, all of the data sets. So you know, why is this important to do? Um, coming back to the start, search and discovery. We need people to find the data they're interested in and they want to do things with. Um, also, for us to be able to, to deliver a kind of you know, a useful user experience for, for an end user, we need to be able to identify different types of data so that in our platform we can store it in the most appropriate way. So if something is a piece of geodata, we put it into a geostore. If it's a, you know, a piece of temporal data, it goes into our time store, and so on and so on and so on. So knowing what a data type is is super important for making our platform work you know, at, its, at its best. So the better we can identify different data types within a data set, you know, the, the faster the queries are going to be, the better visual experience people are going to get at the end when they're looking to actually get some kind of insight from this. Um, within all of these models, we've got lots of kind of feedback mechanisms as well. So it kind of, you know, the more people use it, um, the more it learns, the more people play with visualizations, the more it learns, and we can keep hope to build, you know, keep building, you know, much much more rich and, and useful experiences with, uh, with open data. Um, yeah, and things like customers adding their own spatial boundaries as well is super helpful. So yeah, we've got a bunch of kind of shapefiles for, for known places, but some people define custom boundaries, custom neighborhoods and geographies. So you know, the, again, the more this stuff is added into the platform, the more it's going to learn and understand the types of data that people are, uh, people are playing with. OK, so. The, the last little piece of the puzzle is um, the kind of rethinking the user experience around open data. Um, so when we build products, this is who we think about. Um, and you can see there's a, a kind of a bit of a split. So 
The left side, I put residents. This basically means anyone who's not in government. That's kind of a bit of a catch-all term. Um, and you know, ranging from a resident interested in finding out a thing, um, so you know, non-technical, wants to, wants to understand something about the place they live. Uh, somebody who has perhaps a slightly deeper understanding, so uh, somebody who might be advocating for something in a community. You know, this could be special interest groups, could be charitable organizations who have a very specific need that they're trying to kind of you know, fulfill with data. Um, and then, obviously, you know, kind of app developer, again, catch-all for anyone who's doing anything programmatically with data via, via the API who have a very particular kind of you know, set of requirements around getting access to data in our platform. On the other side, we design for our government customers as well. So, again, I kind of said it up front, really important part of what we do is thinking about how to best better serve government themselves with their own open data. You know, if it becomes an asset that they find useful that they're able to use, it's going to kind of increase the quality of the stuff they're publishing, and you know, ultimately everybody's going to win from this. So, you know, chief data officer, any senior manager who's trying to kind of you know use data efficiently as an asset in an organisation, elected official staff. So that's you know decision making in an organisation, data driven decision making. You know, trying to reduce the number of gut decisions that are taken and actually get data into that mix as well. Um, and then the more kind of technical side, so internal IT teams were trying to build things with, with their own data, with their own, with the APIs, you know, testing out new services, prototyping stuff, pushing people to web channels, all, all those things that's important to government right now. Uh, so to do this, um, based around those personas, we've created a new kind of data visualization experience that it really reduces the, the number of interactions someone needs to make to start getting some understanding from data. So you know, they don't have to kind of click through and create things anymore. They can immediately get a sense of what this data is about and what it's telling them. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of demo this thing in a second, but the idea is people are able to kind of choose their own path, you know, navigate through the data, look at what interests them, just kind of play with it a little bit, test it out, poke it, you know, just, just to have a little explore um, and, and ask some questions, essentially. Um, and the more intuitive we can make that, we think the better the experience is going to be, particularly for those non-technical kind of folk. You know, if, you're a, if you're a researcher or a data scientist, you're just going to pull that data out and do your thing with it anyway. So this is you know, more aimed at the kind of 90% of people who don't have that skill set. So... As I said, the, all the, the kind of work with, with the kind of, you know, the people side and the, the machine learning ultimately drives this experience. So, so that was the, the kind of the, the point of my slightly stretched analogies about the work our engineering team have been done. It's to get to this place where this is actually useful and engaging for people. Um, yeah, oh yeah, show the thing. So, um, let me... Oh, let's go to some email. Why not? Sorry, guys. There we go. Uh, so, crime data set, City of Chicago. This is a thing that's updated in near real time. Um, so, if you want to see a whole huge data set about crime, go to the, the City of Chicago's open data site. It's got about 5.8 million rows or so of, of individual crime incidents in the city, I think going back to about 2001. Um, and this was the user experience. You know, it's a table of data. Um, and you know, I don't want to denigrate this. We've been very proud of this um, because you can then go play with some visualization tools, you can create charts, you can create maps, there's an API, you can query this data programmatically, you know, really good, powerful kind of platform stuff. But, um, you know, the, the thing's moved on a bit. So, what we're doing is, is moving people to this, this new data experience. So, instead of seeing a table of data, 
Um, the first thing you see when you land on an open data set now is going to be this. Um, and so if you are a data publisher, because of all the work that's going on in the back end of the platform, yeah, if you've helped by categorizing things, that's great, um, because that, as I said earlier, that really speeds things up. But you don't need to know a huge amount about your data anymore. The platform is getting incredibly good at figuring it out for you. So a data publisher pushes in their data, and they're immediately presented with a set of visualizations that the platform thinks is most appropriate for the data that they're presenting. So yeah, we see a time series chart. We've seen some categories bunched up into columns. Um, and I'll show you in a sec. There's some maps down below as well. Um, and so the, the publisher experience is like, here you go. Here it is. And you can do nothing. You just hit publish, and that stuff will be you know, ready, ready to go. Obviously, as a publisher, you might choose to curate this a little bit. So you, know, you can decide to switch some views off, bring some other ones in. Um, but, but once you've kind of saved, saved that view, this is published then as the official kind of data set for this, this particular piece of open data. Um, yeah, all the, all the kind of technical stuff, if you want to download it in you know, CSV, whatever, pull it out through there. Uh, RESTful API, you know, developers can go and, and do what they do with that. Um, again, for everybody else, uh, we've got you know, an instant view on some interesting stuff with the data. So I was talking about crime being seasonal earlier. You can see pretty clearly you've got some peaks and troughs in that crime data. Um, and we can also kind of infer that Chicago is a safer place. Um, that way they've changed how they record crimes. Um, but so since 2001, yeah, we've been seeing a reduction in the number of, uh, number of crime incidents. Um, and we've got them bucketed into categories. And down here, we've also got some maps. So because there's a latitude and longitude, um, and the platform knows where Chicago is, and it knows some of the defined community areas, we can build out a choropleth map as well um, to help people kind of explore and dig through. All very good. Um, the bit I mentioned earlier was we were also looking between columns. So by categorizing, we can start to draw some associations. So the point of that is we're now able to kind of play around and do a bit of cross-filtering. So you know, if I'm just interested in narcotics as a crime type, I can immediately kind of filter through all of that stuff and see of all the crimes, how many are narcotics, how does that change my choropleth map, and so on. And we can kind of keep digging in. So I can see there's a bit of a hotspot here in Austin, so I can hit Austin. And again, I'm kind of drilling another level deeper. So I'm just looking at narcotics crimes in Austin. And I can start to scroll through and see you know, how many arrests, how many not arrested, any particular districts within Austin that have. Um, so whatever the 015 district is, uh, you know, that's where there's a kind of prevalence within that, that kind of bigger district of Austin. And if I dig down to a level, I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm kind of done with that. I, I hit clear, and we we kind of wind our way back. Um, and we can start again. We can look at, you know, play around from a different perspective. So, you know, I, for example, know, I kind of play with this data a little bit. If you were to look for, for kind of, um, you know, the, they call it white collar crime, the kind of fraud and, and deception type stuff, it's not Austin at all. It's one of these kind of neighborhoods down in here suddenly lights up like a beacon. You know, very different crime type in a very different neighborhood. Um, and so this is, yeah, this is happening with, with all of the data sets. At the moment, it's with our customers in the US. So we're going to be bringing it here to Europe over the next kind of weeks or months. Um, and they, yeah, they, they're choosing to enable it data set by data set at the moment. But as we kind of keep going, this is going to become the, you know, the default view for, for data on the Socrata platform. I'm going to pause for a second. I have one other thing I was going to show if we've got a little bit of time. Um, any questions so far, though? Because I'm running out of steam. Go You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.